Okay, this is part B, um, the present, speaking about the present of social media. There's a th thunderstorm going on, so that's interesting. Um, again, as it said in part A, hopefully our dog won't bark. Uh, she's probably whimpering. And that's about it. It's still Mac Max and Ashley here. Same people. Um, and we're going to jump right into it. Okay. So, present, identifying what you already know about the present practices and developments in health and media literacy. Hold on, let me let that thunder go. Is it coming? Dramatic effect. Oh. Yeah. Lots of lightning. Okay. <laughs> so the first, there it is, e-health. Um, this is a part where I kind of, there's so much to say about e-health, I kind of stuck it into just a couple of points because I think I made a lot of points in the past, part A, and there's a lot of points I want to make in part C. So uh, the first thing I want to talk about is like rumors and myths. I think that's the biggest to take away, just to take one thing out of e-health. The biggest thing to me and to what I teach is speaking about truth and knowing truth versus fiction, and that's in general anything to do with health on the internet. You need to know where to find stuff that's true, where to decipher what's a rumor, um, you know, it, it goes back to so many things, but one main point I wanted to talk about is vaccine hesitancy. Um, you know, it started back when we had a daughter, right? And there were those rumors six, seven years ago before even COVID that, you know, vaccinations cause autism or might cause this, which was, you know, proven false. And even the person that made that claim said he, they didn't know what they were talking about. Um, and I'll link that. But, um, oh, now there's rain. Anything you want to say about that, Ashley? Um, I don't think so. I think you kind of covered it. I think it's interesting because this idea of vaccines causing other diseases or you get the disease from the vaccine um, started as a social movement, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which is just so strange to me. Um, these pictures of like the little doll baby with all of the yeah. needles all over yes. it, right? Like that is scary to look at. Um, so yeah, it makes it harder to find relevant and real information. The um, number of vaccines that babies get, like our daughter get, it's, it is intrusive. It's a lot. Yeah. But it's not all at once. Like it, the picture right. makes it seem. And it's been happening forever. Right. You know, yeah. It, I mean, out of all the people that have gotten them. Yeah. I think that once you see a picture like that and people start to recognize something, when you bring something to light, it's going to, you, you know, I heard a really good quote today. It was Kevin Hart on a podcast, and he said something like, you don't have to choose to talk about everything. If you don't like something, turn away from it. And that kind of goes with this. Like, if you don't like how many vaccines are going, going into your child, okay, well, then just say, I'm not going to do it, and turn away. You don't have to make a comment on every little thing and make it a big deal. He do was speaking remember, about the cancellation and Me Too and all of that, but that's different. When our daughter, uh, when our doctor <laughs> asked us, because they legally have to ask if you're going to do it. Um, he said, are you doing it? And we said, yes. And he said, oh, good, because I wouldn't be able to see her anymore if you didn't. And right. And that's, I think, that's a good and bad thing, right? Like going into daycare, certain you know, schools require it, right? Or most schools, at least. I know you have to have certain 
Pennsylvania vaccines. is like a microcosm of that, though, because Pennsylvania has a, and I don't know what other states, but Pennsylvania mm-hmm. has a religious exemption. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. that's why it's hard for us in Pennsylvania, because so many people don't get their children vaccinated right. because of these religious exemptions, or they're leaning on that even if it's not true. Right. Um, well, we even have a friend who will remain unnamed, but, uh, you know, when her child was born, we knew that they were she was unvaccinated and one of my best friends it's sad that we couldn't my daughter could not really grow up with her and not meet her until later in life um when she did but you know that's one of the social things that go in with those kinds of choices too you know it's not that it's like oh i don't want to go near this kid but it's more like you know it's it's a risk it really is with those kinds of the things that are out there yeah yeah definitely okay part b self-help online um, okay, I just read an article about a week ago. Now, it was behind a paywall, and I did not pay for it, so full transparency. But it was a Live article, and I saw the first paragraph. And the headline was, Younger adults are more hesitant about COVID-19 slowing march to immunity. Um, so that kind of goes with self-help, and th- that was big to me. It's basically saying that in Pennsylvania, herd immunity is surprisingly mostly... It, mostly halted due to young people and you'd think it would be the older people right that you know the people that are more likely to be maybe republican or to be against uh you know the mask mandates um in the rural counties and all that but it's actually young people and it's even in cities in philadelphia that kind of stuff um and i see the influence in the kids i teach stems from the parents and there's the online videos and the clickbaits um all those things that are like oh this vaccine if you take this this is going to happen you're going to get covid they're going to track you and so many kids this year have told me did you get the vaccine oh did you know there's a tracker in it uh no i didn't know that but news to me right like that kind of stuff um and that was a surprise a real surprise to me um that article um yeah i think that young people also have always had this idea that they're superhuman so like even if i get covid it's fine because i'll survive right college kids yeah we don't know the long-term effects of it so they're going on social media and they're forming these groups that are saying well it's fine i had covid so and i'm still here you know so i think young people are looking to their friends and seeing well Mm -hmm. i know a ton Mm -hmm. of people that have have had it and they're fine um which is really terrifying because again we don't know 10 years from now how how that's going to affect anybody yeah yeah it's terrifying um and then you know the to flip a coin on that because covid we could talk about that for a long time but um another thing with self-help in the present day is symptom checkers um you know mayo clinic and all those wiki whatever they are um since they have come about you know it can be good but it's also so damaging now you know how many times have you searched for a symptom any symptom i've been doing it all day you know i've had something chest pain and i've been is it you know a cough is it muscle strain and you can go from end to end oh it's just a rash because i you know have acne or whatever or all the way to oh my gosh it's cancer it's a tumor you can literally go and depending on who you are and you know what age you are looking at that like someone like you know one of our parents might search a symptom and automatically think the first thing it tells you is the first thing you have because they don't know how to decipher, you know, between searches and, and what comes first and, and how that works. Um, but you get into your own rabbit hole due to these kinds of things when it comes to self-help. When you're looking for some kind of, you know, 
home remedy or, or a symptom check, anything like that, you can get the worst to the best. Right? Yeah, I think um, the craziest thing that I ever witnessed was my own mom. Um, she did a symptom checker, and then I took her to the doctor, and she told the doctor what she had, right? Like, so now doctors have this, like, Mayo Clinic exhaustion, yep. and they're just treating patients like, oh, you think you have pneumonia cool like you know what do I know so they they ended up treating her for what she thought she had and I think that was really damaging because you know they didn't really evaluate her they you know they want to please their patients and I think that also is a whole another social issue of um doctors needing high ratings to keep their patients so they're doing anything they can to please you well now they're not actually you know giving you what you need and it all stems from these Google searches. It's an armchair doctor. And it's my profession too. You know, my father, when I got into the fitness field, he <laughs> thinks he knows so much more than I when it comes to fitness. If he listens to this, hopefully he laughs about it. But, you know, I can't tell him anything. It, se- it seems that way. I can't tell him anything because maybe not from the internet, but he just knows better. You know, it just comes with that kind of the self-help when he googles you know how to lose weight or how to get abs or how to do this new workout he'll tell me about it and I'll tell him why that isn't correct and he'll tell me why I'm wrong so it's a you know professionalism uh, we talked about before you know certificates and fitness and 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 you can have these you know sell some elixir whatever it is the new wraps that you put on your stomach we talked about that you don't need your certificate in your profession anymore really you don't need a degree which is scary for someone to take you serious, at least. Um, I, I just want to point out one more thing because I just had dinner with a friend of mine who said she was using an app and she is like swearing by this app and says, I lost 35 pounds just by following this app. And I said, are there, is there anyone checking in on you <laughs> to make sure you're doing what is healthy and right. you're not just following this algorithm? Like that is yeah. absolutely terrifying that, you know, you just follow it blindly um yeah there's good and bad to it yeah uh just because it you lose weight doesn't mean you'll be healthy right and with these apps i mean it doesn't come down to just heart rate high burn as many calories as you want to be overall healthy um, right so hopefully they're not mixing weight loss with health as i always say um okay moving on social support um the first thing i want to talk about is when it comes to social circles on the internet memes Memes have caused celebrities to, you know, kill themselves, to be depressed, and people to kill themselves. Uh, you know, it gets, the, you can look up so many stories about people, you know, harming others in relation to memes and, and so, um, um, all kinds of things. Uh, in, in my class, we call them mean means. <laughs> I hope I'm saying that right. Mean <laughs> means, like mean memes. Um, and they're funny and entertaining, you know, like I love them myself. Like you see those pictures with the white, you know, like that little girl staring at the fire, at the house on fire. Like that's a really funny one. Yeah. But that's a harmless one, you know. Um, but it, it becomes bullying. And again, with, with celebrities, with, you can see it all over the place. Um, Demi Lovato had a meme about her. Do you remember where they caught a bad angle of her and she was, they mm. called her some name and she had like a double chin and like she is one who was like anorexic and suicidal, depressed, mm-hmm. did heroin. You know, that is a good example. Just because she had a bad angle on a photo and didn't look what, like she does in her music videos, people were like, who is this? She's so fake. And it, it caused some serious uh, 
issues. I mean, again, that's celebrities and not real life all the, all the time, but... No, it's like Mean Girls, the movie, mm-hmm. and they made... This is what, what year did that movie come out? Like 2000-something. But oh, yeah. they made memes, basically, and printed them out and <laughs> passed them all over the school. It's like a an exaggerated way of bullying is memes. Yes, it definitely is a way for people to highlight your insecurities, again, with, like, the Demi Lovato thing. Um, and it can be harmful, especially for young people that I'm teaching. Um, and, you know, I try to tell them. Um, another thing I want to talk about is Instagram. Um, and I've said it, one of my big ar- big idea articles, um, week three from this class, I said that uh, the most poisonous social media platform, I thought, I think, is Instagram. Because I said the app literally encourages physical judgment. Um, as I discussed, um, we had an article, um, the article, the author's last name was Davis, and it discusses college party-themed um, profiles like barstool sports, like those kinds of Instagrams, you know, that you go mm-hmm. to, um, anything that's um, a frat party, whatever it is. And I said that sometimes um, I have a writing prompt for kids, and I said, how would you feel if you posted your best selfie on Instagram and either did not get any likes or got a thumbs down or got completely ignored? Um, and the answers to that are interesting. And that goes with that um, Barstool Sports one because a lot of those, I forget exactly what the article says, but um, the main point of the article is that it's mostly females. Mm. It's, it's females toward young males. You know, like it'll show a female doing a beer bong or something like that, like that in a bikini. And it's all about getting likes and making them feel good and, you know, tagging the girl's profile and, and doing that kind of stuff. Um, but for my, my kids, on the flip side, you know, I said that Instagram is basically a judgment platform. It's good or bad. Like, if you put your best selfie, I said to my eighth graders, put your best selfie on Instagram, you think you look beautiful, you get no likes, no comments, but you see like 100 views. How do you feel to be completely ignored like that? Yeah, I have a completely different outlook on Instagram. But, I mean, yes. I th- But I do think that Instagram um, has created a new social wave where it's become more acceptable to post selfies and it's become more acceptable to you know be who you are so I think like there's also positive social circles that come from that uh but I guess it depends on the profile and who you're looking at for sure (laughs) yeah yeah I mean there's good to it um but I think my way of thinking is that it because it's just pictures and videos it's the first one to do that it's not like a Facebook comment you know it's you're putting yourself out there or things that you like through your eyes or someone else's. And so it's pretty much someone saying, I don't like what you like or I, I don't like what you look like. Yeah, I think it's strange how much Instagram has changed, right? Like it started as this uh, photographer-based platform and now it, it's definitely becoming brag book all over mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Okay, next part. Uh, relation... Relationship concerns um, for not having face-to-face interactions. So there's so much to talk about here, especially over the past year, but we'll just start here. And I discussed this briefly in the, our first section, but you know, how many of our friends or families, especially your family and, and my friends, <laughs> have we lost or stopped speaking to because of radical beliefs or political arguments? Um, and we grew apart because we can't have a, 
a good discussion online. You know, if I post something that might be political, yes, I shouldn't do that, but I do. And someone comments on it and they're like, I'm going to block you because of your views or I'm going to block you because you said this about this or, or because of my views on vaccines or whatever it might be. Um, and we can't have a real discussion. You know, I've had a friend who say, say a bad comment on my Facebook, block me, and then I'll text them and say, let's talk this out in person. And they don't want anything to do with me because of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I think the politics of the past four years, five years, has changed um, relationships in ways on social media that we've never seen before. Um, and I say that as, like, a young person who didn't live through, like, Nixon or anything. So um, I say that with a grain of salt. But, um, yeah, I think I think it's funny, too. There's a there's a thing that we did in a marketing class that was like, how many people on your Facebook have you actually ever met face to face? Right. So it's not just like your family, but like, think about the people who you've met once at a party, you know, in college and like somehow became Facebook friends. You will probably never see that person again, but you're putting your whole life out there for them to see and judge. Yeah. Um, and I think it relates heavily to this past year with zoom, right? Like, a lot of my students I had never even met in person. And then when I finally met them in person, I was like, wow, <laughs> like yeah. you're so much taller than I thought, or oh, you're yeah. so much different than I thought, um, which can be both positive and negative, right? It's the assumptions we make about people. Yes. Uh, and speaking of education, um, so that goes along with the concerns of, you know, lack of face-to-face interactions. Uh, this past year is big on that. So. You know, another question I've been asking myself is how many students lost a year of learning, especially in my school district, who gave choice learning, you know, this for my this past year of being hybrid or being in person or being completely virtual and being able to switch whenever they wanted to, which was an issue in itself. But how many students lost this year because they were able to be at home, mostly unmonitored, because let's be honest, it's a blue collar collar town that I work in and a lot of parents work nine to five, leave their kids at home to babysit another sibling. And that's just facts. Um, you know, they were at home expected to do virtual education, possibly unmonitored and unchecked for their progress. Um, you know, how many of those academic, whatever skills in, in so many domains and just the math skills, how many of that is going to transfer to next year and year after the year after and give this deficit in these kids of, Oh, you know, I'm in 10th grade and, in eighth grade, I never did algebra, so I'm in pre-algebra again. You know, something like that. Um, or even, um, oh, I lost my train of thought here. How many social skills were lost? Um, that's the other thing, you know, because if they weren't online speaking to their peers or to me, how do they know how to act when they get back in school if they were just, again, unmonitored, doing whatever they want? And, and one example of that is I have 22 kids in my summer school right now. I'm teaching summer school. Um, you know, four days a week. And those 22 kids are all virtual and all made mistakes of not getting online or just didn't keep up with their work. 22, and that's just one classroom out of six. That is definitely the biggest enrollment in summer school that my school district has ever seen, at least my middle school in the last decade, Um, which is crazy. I think it's really sad because um, if you look at it from like a public health perspective how many of those 22 students desperately needed emotional support this past year right and that's probably why they chose to stay home they were already inclined to be in that you know environment um 
and then now they're so secluded. Um, so maybe it's not just they didn't want to do the work, but like socially and emotionally drained, right? Like I know there were days this past year where I didn't want to get out of bed, so I can't imagine how an eighth grader uh, would want to get up and get online. Um, but I mean, I work in athletics and I've seen uh, signups this year and tryouts this year and kids don't want to go back out for sports. So even as a physical health um, you know, perspective, students are now so used to being online and sitting in front of a computer, it's going to take a really long time to turn that switch back on. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just not yeah. coming out for sports anymore. Yeah, and there is the other side of that too, that parents chose to keep them their kids home because of fear of COVID, which we did as well. It's a, it's a good choice, and it's not that that was all bad, right? Like you did have the kids that stayed home, did their work, interacted, but there's still an aspect of emotional and social right. support, right? right? Like even those kids that did great and, and did what they were supposed to do, they missed out on the social interactions, and that's just the nature of the COVID beast, right? Like it's it's not just students it's everyone that was home for the whole year lost that kind of you know I have at this point you know this I have anxiety now like high anxiety more so than ever you know we went to the beach not long ago and I felt like a complete alien it's it was just surreal to be there and I didn't know how I'd feel until we got there and it was just like whoa like I didn't I need to learn how to use the lower half of my face to match my words (laughs) I need to be able to Break the habit of being on another big part. This is a whole nother thing is break the habit of being on my phone so much because last year, and we talked about this a little bit about um, screen time and the COVID and, and how we let our daughter watch a little bit more because, you know, the guidelines kind of backed up on, on screen time. But that's one thing that's still left in my brain is I can scroll for hours and wait a second. Oh, it's not COVID anymore. This things I need to do instead of just sitting around the house. Yeah, I mean, I had to give a presentation today to 22 college students and uh, walking into that room was terrifying Mm -hmm. because uh, we still have this, you know, uh, attachment to masks and they're like our security blanket and none of us have to, you know, had to wear masks that were in that room and I walked in and I was like trying not to let it show on my face that I was like, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. I'm in a classroom with 22 kids that don't have masks on. I mean, even presenting, right? Like, I'm sure teaching um, is just so much more intense now, right? Trying to get back used to uh, controlling those emotions on your face and using your face to communicate with students. Um, There was a couple times today where I let my voice get too loud because I'm so used to speaking over a mask where I was like, why am I shouting? Um, Yeah, I think think it's going to be a strange... um, reemergence into the into the real world <laughs> i almost envy the people that not, not to get political but the the people that didn't care about mass and didn't want to do it because it's almost like the people that acted like last year didn't face them and was just another year they they might actually be ahead on social interaction. <laughs> no seriously they might actually have some benefit out of it now obviously they were at risk for covid and hopefully you know when the dust settles, we don't see that people who didn't wear masks died more than people that did. You know, we could get into that, but I think that they are probably ahead on social um, interactions and probably didn't lose any of that anxiety or any of that uh, support when it comes to being able to match their words to their face or, or all the things you just said. 
Yeah, I, I think it's just uh, we are in a lifelong experiment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're mm-hmm. we're not even halfway through now. <laughs> it's a good place to end. Okay, that is our present lifelong experiment. So next time we will wrap up our mini series with part C in the future, what is going to happen in the future of media.